the Bottom Music Podcast, a production of Mike Rotondo and myself, Eric Burrell. Today's guest is Ryan Armour, lead singer of One Life, formerly of Close Enough. He's going to walk us through his golf game and tell us what it's like to be in a band with a bunch of assholes. Here we go. And it's supposed to start snowing here. Dude, the high on freedom, Christmas. Freedom degrees. 28 Exactly. The high on Christmas is four. Negative 31 with real feel. That's stupid. Yeah. That's so dumb. Like dangerous. Yeah. See, I hate the real feel. That, the real feel ruins because, it. Because, well, the thing, no, my whole thing is like, okay, if it says four on the thermometer and that's what it feels like, isn't that what four feels like? What do you mean real feel? It's true. Because if it was negative 30 or whatever, yeah. it'd be a different fucking real feel. <laughs> right. like, oh, it feels like it's negative 80. No. <laughs> right. What do you mean? No. That's not how it works. Yeah, I don't understand it either, but it's anyway. the real feel. I get, yeah. No. Anyway, uh, so let's start at the beginning. Yeah. You were born, I assume, I was, at I some was point? Probably, maybe, assuming and, I'm actually here. And then at some point you got into, into music? Yeah. How did that all happen? All right, so... Uh, my parents met on spring break in 1978. And so not got, MTV spring break? But, no. But like, this was pre-MTV okay. spring break. This was old school shit. Daytona Beach. They were ahead of their time. They were. So uh, they happened to get a little knocked up with me. Mm-hmm. They uh, got married about three months before I was born. They're still married by some fucking miracle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I I pretty much grew up in uh, upstate New York. My parents moved to Wheaton, Illinois, when I was like two. They were down in Florida originally. Moved up to Wheaton, and then we moved out to upstate New York uh, because my dad started a Little Caesars franchise when I was like 10. Pizza, pizza. That's right. So uh, (laughs) as I like to say, I was weaned on fucking crazy bread. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I like went to high school out there, and... um, when I was about, I don't know, 13, Nirvana hit. Sure. And uh, like many uh, men of our age, picked up a guitar for the first time in my life and started strumming. And then that kind of went like Nirvana. Uh, and then I got into like metal. Yeah. So big time like Metallica, Pantera, all that shit. And then... To, uh, to me, being, you know of a similar age and having the exact same experience with Nirvana and all that. Um, tell me if this is how you remember it, because in my mind, like Nirvana was metal. There was no difference. I was like, Oh, I want more of this. And it like distorted guitars. Like it was, yeah. you know, there, uh, I don't know. No, it, I, grunge quote marks. Grunge wasn't like a yeah. thing other than to be like, Oh yeah. Grungy fashion or whatever. Right. It was more about fashion. But it wasn't like a the grunge movement or... And this is like kind of before alternative was a thing. Totally true. You know? Yeah, all those, like, the the, the sub-genres of, like, alternative music, whether you want to say grunge or an indie rock or whatever, Yeah. that shit all happened way later. Right, right. So Nirvana hit, and, I mean, dude, like, even if you think about, like, early Soundgarden, that was, yeah. that was straight up metal. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's... That's not fucking grunge that's not pop rock that's like that's metal so i totally agree with you and at the time it didn't it you're right it didn't seem like a jump to go from like nirvana to metallica right was all just like heavy rock with distorted guitars yeah so anyway so i went that direction and you know spent a year or two doing that smashing pumpkins was doing the same shit around the same time and siamese dream is like one of my favorite albums of all time um, super unknown Soundgarden, same deal. Yep. And then Green Day came out with uh, Dookie, it's and like, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like literally the exact experience yeah. that I had. Yeah. But yeah, it's the. I mean, that's like, oh, that's <laughs> what happened to fucking white guys that were yeah. like between the ages of twelve and sixteen <laughs> at the time. Right. Yeah. You see, like the long view video on 120 minutes. You're Dude, like, this is it for sure. I just fucking heard that song today. I was like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. This is it's awesome. funny that you guys can remember when they came out in order because I, I couldn't tell you. Really? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I mean, that was like my fucking life. Yeah. 
like for a long time. Formative years. Yeah. I, I came a little later after you guys, like maybe a year. Not, not much, but I was behind the, you know, I didn't know I liked music yet until my brother started turning me on to it. Right. Yeah. So, and to that thing, like having somebody in your life that sort of like introduced you to everything. I had my best friend growing up, a guy named Joe. Um, he was like a real music dude. Like yeah. all he fucking did was listen to music. And one of the things that always amazed me about him was like, I would get a record and listen to that record for a fucking month straight and I wouldn't listen to anything else he was the dude that would go to the record store and buy 30 fucking CDs yeah and would know every song on every single one of them within a week and be like playing this and playing that and I'm like dude just fucking play Siamese Dream that's all I want to <laughs> hear right now um so he was the guy that kind of pushed me to like listen to more shit but so Green Day came out and I, I don't really know the connection point outside of maybe like the offspring or something like that but i got super into west coast punk so no like the whole fat records thing yep. no effects lag wagon strung out all those bands and so at that point we started to put a band together i was like a junior in high school we put a punk band together called out of practice and um we did pretty well we played for it was we were a couple of years and we played around upstate New York and did the whole deal. And then everybody left for college. And uh, it was just Joe and I. I was actually going to Cornell, so I was still kind of where I, I had grown up. But my parents moved back to Wheaton. Yeah. So my parents called one day and they're like, listen, like you're paying a crap ton of money to go to Cornell. I was majoring in philosophy. My dad was like, you could major in philosophy at UIC and I would pay a hell of a lot less money yeah, yeah. for you to do that. So <clears throat> Joe and I decided, like, let's go out and see if we can start a band in Chicago. So we came out. We moved in with my parents. I started going to UIC. Joe ended up being in love and moving back to New York. And my neighbor three doors down from my parents' house was Chris Mason. Uh -huh. So. <laughs> You're like, mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> So uh, for the listeners, Chris Mason uh, is the drummer uh, of One Life, was the drummer of Close Enough, and has gone on to an illustrious uh, career as a drummer. Um, but he was 14 or 15 at the time. I think I was 18. And Joe and I were skateboarding like out in my parents' driveway, and Chris went skating by smoking a fucking Newport. <laughs> and he was like 15-year-old Chris Mason. Yeah. So we like, literally, we chased him down. Like he was trying to get away from us. He was like, who are these assholes chasing me on a skateboard? We we're like, hey, stop, come back. What are you doing? So finally he stops and he's like, what do you guys want? And we're like, you fucking, you Give look like you're into wallet. punk rock, dude. Like, are you into punk rock? And he's like, yeah. And we're like, cool, okay. So we start fucking hanging out. So he was playing bass in a band called Slingshot at the time. And um, he had a drum set. He was in the drum line at high school and shit and whatever. And we tried to do something with him with Joe playing drums. Didn't work out. Joe moved back. Pat Gilroy and Jeremy Galanis, both of whom are in One Life, uh, were friends of Chris's in high school. They were like a grade ahead of him. But Pat was in the drum line. They were in a band called Down 37, which was like a ska punk band. They had a fucking horn section and all this shit. And uh, so we kind of came up, Chris and I came up with this stupid plan to try to like coerce them to start a band with us. So we got Pat over and we showed him a couple of songs. And Chris was still playing bass. We needed a drummer. We didn't have a drummer. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Chris, you play drums. Me and Pat will play guitar. Jeremy, you pick up that bass. Now, Jeremy played guitar in Down 37, and as you probably know, and I'm sure you know as well, if you play guitar and somebody's like, yo, you're a bassist, you're like, no, I'm not, fuck you, I'm playing the guitar. Yeah. I don't want to play the fucking bass. And I'm like, Jeremy, you're the fucking perfect bassist. You're like <laughs> super tall and skinny. Like It makes total sense. And he's yeah. like, all right, fine, I'll play bass for like a week until we find somebody else to play the bass. And then I'm playing the guitar. Famous fucking line. <laughs> fucking 20 years later, he's still, still fucking playing the, play the, the bass. Yeah. So anyways, that was the start of Close Enough. So it was, uh, Poor it was guy. Jeremy and Pat and Chris and I. 
we started rehearsing and um we ended up recording god damn it what was the name of the fucking studio there was some shit ass studio in aurora with an engineer that was like 18 years old didn't know what the hell he was oh, doing shit. yeah so that was the patitude that was the four song ep that we recorded the impossible reality and night so black and all that shit and um we put that out we were you know back in the day you would fucking burn your own cds make your own artwork and shit i can't read the guy's name brian something oh yeah brian clavy was his name brian clavy i was listening to this uh yeah Fucking awesome. <laughs> what? For, uh, for a bunch so of kids. crazy. Damn. Yeah. I have that tape. I, I do too, I think. It's I mean, insane. I have so much. I, have, I think I have a tape that's like like a bootleg or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Or, There's a ton of shit, just random yeah. stuff. I mean, like literally, like I was saying, you'd, you'd burn your own CDs and hand them yeah. out as demos or whatever. So. Who was the, uh, not to cut you off. But no, who, not at all. Who was like the. The first day of practice was like kind of the, the lead-in song guy. Was it Pat? Um, like you, I got the song, you know. No, you would think that based on the way Pat is, <laughs> in general. <laughs> uh, but no, like when he showed up the first day, Chris and I had a couple of songs already, like somewhat written. Ah, cool. So I was just like, "Listen, hear the fucking songs," and I didn't sing before close enough. So, and in fact. Pat was like, I wanted to sing like in this voice. And Pat was like, you can't sing that fucking low. You have to sing way up here. And I was like, I don't want to fucking do that. That sucks. It hurts. And he's like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> so um, he like kind of forced me to sing way up high in the top register. The and start, I hated it. The start of Pat. That's right. But ultimately, we had two songs. I taught them to Pat and Jeremy, we played them, and we were like, fuck, this is it. Like, we sound good. We actually sound like a band. Yeah. So then from there, it was like, Pat showed up with a few songs, and I had a couple of riffs, and like, we would just kind of throw shit together and figure it out, make it work. I think our first show was in Chris's basement, and there were like 50 10th graders down there with oh. us. Yeah. We charged five bucks at the door. Really? People actually paid to come to Holy fucking shit. Chris's basement. That is amazing. And, you know, thank God for Renee Mason, Chris's fucking mom, because, oh, like, who in their right mind? I mean, we all have children. Yeah. Like, I don't know that I would be cool with letting 50, like, 15 and 16-year-olds in my basement yeah. to see a punk rock show. But she was cool about it. So, yeah, we did that, and then... um I ended up, so we did close enough for, shit, I don't know, three years, four years, and Chris and Jeremy ended up going to DePaul, um, or sorry, Jeremy and Pat ended up going to DePaul, Chris was going to college, wherever the fuck Chris was going, I don't even know, and um, things were kind of fizzling with, with close enough. I had started law school, so we came back from like a weekend thing out in, I think, Nebraska. And I kind of like stumbled in the house on a Monday night at like fucking two in the morning. And I have two younger brothers and my dad got out of bed and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm <laughs> fucking rocking and rolling. Right. What do you mean I'm doing? I'm in a fucking punk rock band. I'm going to be famous. What are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, you got to fucking, you got to move out, dude. Like you're, you're 21, 22. Like this is not going to work. You're setting a bad example for your brothers. And so I freaked out, and we started screaming at each other, and I got up the next morning, and I was like, fine, fuck you, I'm moving out. So I went around Wheaton and looked for apartments and shit, and at the time, I was waiting tables at Red Robin, of all places, but I wouldn't work on the weekends because we were playing shows. And so I wasn't making that much money, so I go look for apartments and shit, and I'm like, fuck, man, rent is insane. It's like seven hundred dollars for a one-bedroom apartment. And I'm like, bro, like that's not gonna work for me. So I went back and I talked to my mom, who was always the fucking voice of reason. And uh, I was like, listen, if I can figure out something to do, can I just hang at the house for another like month or two? And so she was like, yeah, that's fine. So I signed up to take the GRE, graduate whatever the hell exam, for to go to a master's program. I woke up the morning of the GRE and I was like, I don't want to take the fucking GRE. So I didn't go. 
So my mom comes home from work and she's like, how'd the GRE go? And I'm like, nah, I didn't go. And she's like, well, guess what, motherfucker? You're out. And I was like, shit. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll go. I'll take it. So she's yeah. like, you better fucking figure out something soon because we're not, this is not going to continue to go on. So I called the test place and I'm like, listen, I was sick. Uh, is there anything I can like take shortly just to appease my parents? And the lady was like, you can take the LSAT, the law school admissions exam. And I'm like, okay, when is it? Sign me up. She's like, it's two weeks from now at Wheaton College. I'm like, okay, cool. So fast forward two weeks. My wife now, girlfriend at the time, Lindsay and I are outside smoking illicit substances. Not that bad. It was just weed in case my kids listen to this later. And I'm like, what's the fucking date today? And she's like, it's like February 6th or something. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I got the LSAT tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, son of a bitch. So literally she's like, all right, well, I'm leaving. I'm like, do you have any number two pencils in your car? Like, I'm totally unprepared, right? I have no idea what's even on the test. So I go take the test. I get my scores. I apply to the only school that was still accepting applications, which was Northern. And I got a letter like two weeks later that said, welcome to fucking law school. Wow. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's funny that your mom was the one that was adamant about you're going to get the fuck out yeah. or take it. You know what I mean? Yeah, she wasn't. She was totally cool as long as I was doing something. Right. Right. right? Like she, as long as I had a plan and I was like moving forward, she was cool with it. But I mean, truth be told, dude, like you and I, Eric and I, at least, Mike, you weren't there during this period of our lives, but, like, Eric and I were sitting in vans in driveways and getting drunk, like, six nights a week, which, you know, was a lot of fun, but it wasn't exactly... Wasn't exactly going, yeah. No. It's not what your mom wants you to be doing. <laughs> no, exactly. In your, in your 20s. Me right. Meanwhile, you guys are in a van... Fucking sweating it, sweating it out on the road. And yeah. we're, we're in yeah. a, we're in a van in my driveway. Yeah, no, you guys never going anywhere. Beers. Right. Oh shit. So, yeah. So that fucking August, I moved to DeKalb and uh, started law school. So, I remember pretty distinctly. We played a show, I think, with the T's actually in Champagne, like that fall, mm. maybe the spring. Actually, no, it was definitely like early fall, and. uh after that show, we were all just kind of like, we're fucking done with Close Enough. It's not going to work. So we kind of regrouped. Um, Pat called. So that, was, that was probably before I joined. It, it might have been. It was 2002, 2001. 2001 we was were before. All, yeah. We were all breaking up for yeah. sure because, I mean, you guys were breaking up. We yeah. were breaking up. Because I was drinking out of control, partying with <laughs> I mean, you, dude. Yeah, and so, but I mean, like at that point, everyone just kind of had enough. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Everyone was switching. We were getting older, you know. I think that was when when Tone Deaf George was breaking up. Yeah. Same time. It seemed like the scene was kind of like coming to a crescendo a little bit before that, and then everybody kind of just was like, "This shit's getting old. We got to change it up." Wait, played too many shows in the same places, and too, yeah, yeah. People were moving on to college or whatever, yeah. and yeah. Nothing nothing was really happening for us. I mean, like at that point, I think LBC had gotten signed. Um, and the T's were working with Lauren Israel and doing all that right. shit. Yeah. Um, and so it seemed like the T's were on the up and up. Oh, show Off got signed. Yeah, Show Off well, was blowing up. I think yeah. Show Off was over, they might have already, all, already over no, by yeah, maybe. that point. Yeah. yeah, That was a quick run. Yeah. Like one video on MTV, recorded yeah. a second record that got shelved, and then they're just done no shit i didn't even know i remember i remember seeing them a bunch right i was just listening to that record the other day and i was thinking like how great it was yeah. and i was thinking to myself like at that fucking song oh, i forgot what song it was i was listening to it was one of the acoustic ones and i was like if that was a fucking song today like it still holds yeah that, you know what i mean it would be fucking enormous dude a hit is a hit right right yeah. you know it's what a I mean? fucking hit it, it just blows my mind that like more opportunity didn't come that way for them there's so much and this is like a totally different conversation but there's so much that goes into fucking making something like work and become a fucking giant hit sure outside of just the fucking song like you can write a fucking amazing song but there's shitloads of amazing songs that nobody's ever fucking heard right yeah i mean shit dude i was listening to fucking michael jackson the other day 
completely forgotten. He did a fucking duet with Stevie Wonder on Bad. Yeah. Some it's like just friends. Say we're just friends or some shit. Fucking came on. I'm like, that's fucking Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah. The fuck? Like this song. How was that not on the radio? Exactly. Yeah. This yeah. song should have been a giant fucking hit. But you know, the fuck. Obviously, he hit with Bad. Yeah. He did. <laughs> I, right. I mean, it's like, like okay, fine. But yeah, there's only room for a handful of hits at right. one time or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the cycle is the cycle, right? You yeah. can only have so many singles off of one record, especially back then. Well, and even, you know, beyond one record, for one radio station, right? you can only rotate a handful of hits. That's right. You know? Yeah. Especially nowadays. And we, <laughs> and we can't just be a Michael Jackson station. Yeah. Because all the fucking songs are great. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyways, um, so we left that show in Champagne, and Pat was like, I'm going to call Steve Mueller and see what Steve's doing if he wants to fucking play with us. And I was like, okay, cool. So when One Life started, we were practicing in Pat's basement, and I was playing guitar and singing. Mueller was playing guitar and singing. Pat was playing guitar and singing. And it was Jeremy and Chris. So we practiced for a month. And at that point in time, like, part of the reason why Close Enough had gone south was because my relationship with Pat had gotten very contentious and argumentative and I just like, it didn't feel good anymore. And so like a month into one life, we had two or three songs written that were pretty fucking good songs and something, ha I don't even remember what happened, but we were at practice and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Like I quit. So I gathered up my shit. We were screaming at each other, threw all my shit in my car, drove away. And story goes that as soon as I walked out the door, Mueller was like, can I be the lead singer? <laughs> <laughs> so he still does that today. Uh, it's, well, it's a fuck. It's an ongoing <laughs> joke now where it's like, fucking, I show up for shit and they're like, I should be the fucking lead singer. Right. M fucking Mueller's pushing me out of the way of the camera at the video shoot and shit. Yeah. Well, he, he was, you know, for our listeners who don't know, Steve Mueller was had his own band that he fronted called Morningside Drive. Right. Played with Close Enough. Yes. Played with the T's. Very, very good like, band. Yeah, awesome band. Yeah. So he's probably got a little bit of that, like, front man For energy. Sure. You know? For sure. I, and the fucking weird part about it is, like, so they ended up, go forward a little bit, so I got a phone call, like, two weeks later, and Pat was like, you have to come back to the band, only you're not going to play guitar anymore. And yeah. I was like, immediately I was like, okay, cool. I, that feels a little weird to me because I've always had a guitar in front of me, but I think we'll be a better band if right. I'm not trying to fucking palm mute downstroke bullshit yeah. while I'm trying to sing. Definitely not fucking James Hatfield. So I was like, cool. So we're just going to have two guitarists. And he was like, no, Eric Varel's going to join the band. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is going to be fucking awesome. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be fucking insane. Like, we have a, a group of like the best musicians from the scene. Not, I mean, I'm not including myself in that, but like, just we've got a dude that fronted Backdrop. We've got a dude that fronted Morningside Drive. We've got a really good fucking band. And Patitude. And Patitude. And you know, Pat's a fucking talented motherfucker. Beautiful he's a day. he's a musical guy. Yeah. That's right. So and, uh, and Chris Mason. And Chris Mason with his Newport. And with his Newport yeah. and his skateboard. Yeah. And Jeremy. Yeah. He's fucking swinging his like, big... still pissed he's not playing guitar. Bass around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is. Well, next week this bass is going <laughs> in the garbage. <laughs> I'm still going. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, def like a super group. Yeah, you know? that's how it felt. Like definition, definition of a super group. That's how it felt. Like a Chicago scene fucking... Yeah. Kick-ass band. Not even, sh like, Lombard Commons. Yeah, pretty much. Like, all the best bands that ever played at Lombard Commons. Yeah. My my recollection of joining the band was basically, Ryan's out, we want you to sing. And my first thing was, how in the fuck do you think I'm going to sing like <laughs> Ryan? You know? Like, right. to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then that's when it all transpired yeah. and you came back. He was, like, back like that, you know? It was like, oh, you're going to you're going to sing and then I'm like, well, I'll come and try out, you know, to be in the band and then Ryan was back like before. Yeah. I mean, we definitely you and I have totally fucking different voices, right. obviously. Singing it never wise. would work. 
the stylistically, I, I mean, it could have been a different thing for sure. Yeah, but it wouldn't have been what it is. And you know, wouldn't have been good. Yeah, it wouldn't have been good. <laughs> it would have been to the bottom. <laughs> no. I was. Uh, or imagine Mueller actually taking over a lead. What would that? I mean, what would that he's be like? fucking screaming like he's screaming. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Well, so this very is different. You know, this is like what I was gonna say was that we started talking about Mueller having fronted his own band, and the fact of the matter is that like everybody in the the front line of the band, so Eric, me, Pat, and Mueller, could all front a fucking band. Right. All talented singers. All good songwriters all we could all fucking do it and so the fact that Mueller as a credit to him and the, the fact that you as a credit to you Eric were willing to fucking play guitar and not be the lead singer of the band right. is really like a large part of what lent to one life being one life it's like people even though we all still had fucking egos about it which I think you need a little fucking ego to be yeah a, a musician even though everybody had an ego, everybody was willing to like set a part of it aside and be like, this is for the fucking greater good. Like we're gonna be a better band if we all just figure the shit out and figure out how it works. Right. So a credit to everybody, um, Mueller included, even though he might wanna fucking murder me in my sleep sometimes so he could be the lead singer of One Life. Um, so yeah, so we, we started there and then um, shortly thereafter we played our first show at the Fireside Bowl. That was like in the. R.I.P. That's right. It's kind of. I mean, it's still there. It's, it's not it's the same. Alley. Yeah, not the same. I haven't stepped foot in that place since we probably the last show we played there. Did you Did you ever shit in the bathroom? Uh, I never shit in the mm. bathroom, but I would love to have the urinal. Oh yeah. I, that sanitized, I, of course. Like sanitized, <laughs> of course. But. Did I shit in that bathroom? Did you? And it was. Like. Yeah. This could go experience. either way. You could say well, do you it remember went, that bathroom? It was a, glorious. Yeah, it was it was, it was, there was no door. Yeah. There was no seat on the fucking toilet. Nice. And there was no lock in the door, I think. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, never got cleaned. <laughs> right. Fucking stickers from floor to ceiling. Yeah. But I had to shit. I, I mean, uh, the smell of that place, I could still yeah, oh, smell yeah. it right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was worse than the Chicago Stadium, you know, with yeah. the smoking going on and everything in that place. Yeah. It was hor- it was horrid. Decades old. I remember pissed. playing the Metro one time, and I don't know who did it, but somebody took a shit like on the toilet seat, like on the back of the <laughs> toilet seat, and, and I was like, "How do you aim that well?" I think they're probably hovering. Well, I know, but like seriously, like that takes fucking talent to land it and leave it yeah. just in the middle of the back part of the seat. It was like, God damn. Maybe they were trying to do an upper tanker. Maybe. Yeah. And they have bad aim. Yeah. Uh, that could be it, too. Oh, God. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, so we played a bunch of shows and did a bunch of shit. And then uh, as... Drank a lot of beer. Drank a lot of beer. A lot of fucking beer. Drove on the wrong side of the road occasionally. Yep. On the way home from shows. Um, had a lot of fun. So... I don't know how long this was, Eric. Maybe you have a better memory of this than I do. But, I mean, as becomes a recurring theme, uh, Pat started to get real fucking aggro towards the person in Eric's spot in the band. It happened three fucking times. Right. So you were the first, and things got weird with you and Pat and weird with you and the rest of the band, I think, because of... Pat just being kind of an asshole. To Pat's credit, he wanted us to be good and was telling you to do things that really didn't work for you. Uh, good intentioned. Uh, well, well, I'm not. I don't want to stop you, but I, I'll stop you. It's. I don't think it's. Looking back, I just want to say I don't think it had anything to do with Pat. No, nope. it had to do with me wanting to make it in music yeah. and pushing, drinking too much. And not playing. We were we're a band that needs to be like perfect as we can. Yeah. Because there's moving parts, a lot of people, and and if not, it's a mess. Right. And I was all over the place, as I still am, and proud of it. <laughs> um. But, but because of that, Pat was always pushing for per- perfection. Right. You know, which um I wasn't supplying that, and then I had a lot of attitude because I wanted to go on the road because I saw these guys doing it. Right. And I knew that the only way of us getting to a certain point 
was if we did that, but I was not being patient. And I think that alluded to where we went with that. I mean, so a couple of things. Number one, you're right. Pat wanted us to be fucking Iron Maiden. Pat wanted us to be so tight. There were no fucking, there were no noises between notes. Which you guys fucking were. Sometimes. Well, I mean. Sometimes we were. I appreciate the shit out of him because he made me a better musician by pushing us. Like, not a whole, a whole lot of people know this, but, like, we had a click track yeah. blaring through the PA speakers. So loud. Louder than our instruments. I mean, that's all you heard was bang, bang, bang. And, yeah. um, but boop, I, boop, boop, looking back, boop, yeah. Boop. <laughs> but, I mean, he made me a better musician. It took a long, you know, yeah, 20 years later to admit that. Well, when he was fucking screaming at you. Yeah. I mean, like, literally, we'd play fucking four bars of a song, and he would fucking stop right. and scream, and then we'd do it again, and then we'd play six bars. We never got through well, a song. It was like, what, until it was perfect, you yeah. stopped. Whatever kind of whiplash bullshit was going on at rehearsal or whatever, I remember it, me and Tom went to see you guys at, I don't know, Double Door, something like that, and I was just like, holy fucking shit. Like, because, you know, we... I'd played with you guys in Close Enough. Yeah, I'd sure. With Backdrop. Right. But, like, <clears throat> just, like, it's a flawless live show. And sounds, like, okay, you got PA speakers over here, but you walk over there and you hear the stage and you're like, holy shit. Every, like, the amps are set perfectly yeah. to the Thank level you, of the drums, vocals, the harmonies. Like, Jesus Christ. We learned a lot through the years. One of the things was, like, you don't have to turn your amp up to fucking... Yeah, twelve. Right. You sound better I, when it's four. Haven't learned that lesson yet. It's <laughs> always the damn bass player too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those low frequencies. Boom. Yeah. Well, I'm always, you know, fighting with Demar. Yeah, so, right. Why, well, you know, yeah, right. Well, he hits so fucking hard. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I'm surprised right. he doesn't go through like you know two sets of skins per show. Right. So, yeah. anyways, we ended up. We played a show. I can't remember the fucking name of the place. It was like on. Butterfield Road it was like one of the, some wacky little fucking bar. <sighs> Whatever. Um, we played a show. Your brother Darren was there. He was yelling at us from the crowd because things were tense between you and the rest of us. And then after that show, you were out of the band. And in your place, I don't even fucking remember. Was it Lauren first? I can't remember. That's kind of hilarious and bad of me, but... I think it was... Uh... I think it was Lauren. Okay. It was like 20 years ago. I know. <laughs> it's the right. Yeah, yeah, to be right. fair. So let's just say it was Lauren Wells uh, is his name. Lauren is now a successful uh, entertainment attorney in Chicago. Uh, good for Lauren. And uh, Lauren was like a great metal guitarist, super fucking technical dude, and more or less exactly what Pat wanted you to be. Right. Um, when it came to playing style and fucking technical ability and all that bullshit. So we wrote more songs, we recorded, but ultimately I think the feeling was that it was the same kind of thing all over again that happened with you where, you know, people weren't happy with the way Lauren was playing and Lauren was unhappy because he felt like he was constantly catching shit and it wasn't really fun for anybody involved. So then Lauren was out. And then Chris Tiratilli, who I affectionately dubbed Dylan because we already had a Chris in the band, Chris Mason. So Dylan played, and Dylan was also, like, metal guy, good guitarist, had a good, like, stage presence, whatever. It's very, like, Avenged Sevenfold, you know, fucking headbanging, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we did that for a while, and then... The band, One Life was very short-lived, so this the whole thing started, like, maybe, like, the winter of my first year of law school, and by the following spring, I was getting kicked out of the band. So, during the... We were all getting kicked out. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> you were already gone. Uh, one by one. So, and I don't, like, I don't remember a lot of the label shit. Like, I know that we were talking to labels... I don't know what labels. Jeremy cleared all that up in practice the other day. He was telling me a little bit about it, and I, I have a different view on it, but I just remember Metro. Yeah. And I think it was Hawthorne Heights. 
between it was between us and Hawthorne Heights or something. Pat asked for a million dollars yeah. for a signing bonus or something, and then they told us to go get fucked. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. That's my recollection, it's, but then listen, Jeremy has a little bit different. There's a couple different labels that were, were, you know, but it doesn't really matter at this point. But the, the point was is that we were at that level where right. we were about to do something, you know, for right. you guys. Basically. Yeah, and I remember we played a fucking show at the Wheaton Community Center with Fall Out Boy right before they I left to go on tour. Show? Yeah, yeah. And I was we like <clears throat> crazy show. It was. I wasn't in there when Fall Out Boy like basically started a riot. I was in there and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is this shit? Like, what are they doing? But then I was like, oh, I, I think I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So they were leaving. Uh, to go on tour. To go on tour in support of the record that made them fucking famous. Under the cork tree or whatever the fuck yeah. it was called, right? Right. Um, and I remember talking to Pete Wentz outside. And he was like, dude, by the time we get back from this tour, you guys are going to be fucking huge. And I was like, thanks, man. You know, I hope so. But we'll see. And um, I think we were all sitting out there, weren't we? Yeah, we were all like sitting by the, the loading dock. We're smoking. Yeah. yeah, right. Um so I I think like so the label conversations were happening, but I wasn't really involved in any of them. I was living out in DeKalb at the time going to law school. And I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. I just knew that, you know, Pat was very adamant that, you know, we needed money and support and whatever, and I was like fucking whatever. I don't I don't know. Somebody right. wants to sign us and we put out a record, then let's do it. But he was right. All along, looking back at it, asking for what he asked for. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, okay, so here's where I want to get to. And that is that um, I've, I've said this a million times in my life, and it's something that I will tell my children, and I will tell all the listeners right now. And that is that I personally did not have what it took to be in a successful, famous band. And by that, I mean, I needed security. I needed to have a bed and a house and other shit that you need to be able to just give up. Right. I, <clears throat> I needed to, like, even though my parents sort of forced me to go to school, I really hadn't been out of college for that long at the point in which my dad was like, figure it the fuck out. And I always knew, like, I need to have a plan B, right? Right. And a plan B is what fucks you in the ass if your aspiration is to be a successful artist. Not having a plan B is what you need to fucking do because you have to commit yourself and your entire life's energy to doing this thing. And maybe it's the fact that you don't have any other fucking option. Maybe it's the fact that you're not so smart in school and that, you know, what you're good at is writing fucking songs. And so that's what you do. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like the reverse of that. Like school was so fucking easy for me. I didn't have to do anything. So I literally could go fucking be in law school and be in a band and drink my face off and fucking do whatever and be doing fine in both avenues. But for me to leave and go on tour required me to give up the school thing. And if I gave up the school thing, then I was like, what happens if I'm 35 and the band never makes it? Pat fires you. And I'm fucking bartending and I'm 35 years old. I don't want to do that, right? So I was scared the whole fucking time that that was going to be the position that I was going to get put in where I would have to make that decision. And ultimately, that's exactly what fucking happened. We got an offer to go on tour. And it was like, I don't fucking know who it was with, but it was some bigger band. And I had law school finals. And for anybody that hasn't gone to law school, you get one grade and it's your final. You take a final exam and that's the grade you get in the class. So if you don't show up for the final, you fail. Right. So I'm on the phone with Pat. Pat's like, we got offered this tour. It starts, you know, May fucking 10th or whatever. And it goes through mid-June. And I'm like, okay, well... Let's do it, but we got to skip like the first 10 days of the tour because I got to fucking take finals. And he's like, that's not how it fucking works, dude. And I was like, I mean, I get it that that's not how it works, but that's how it's got to work if we're going to fucking do it because I got to take my fucking finals. Right. And he was like, that's fucking lame. Either we're going on tour or you're out of the band. And I was like, 
fuck you, whatever. So we hang up the phone. He calls me back with Chris in the line, like the following day. And they were like, yeah, we talked about it. You're out. And I was like, okay. So I'm out of the band. Uh, I, I should have said this earlier. Like when they kicked me out of the band or when I quit the band for two weeks early, early on was fucking all I thought about. I was like in my first semester of law school and all I could fucking think about was the fact that I wasn't in a band. It was like soul destroying. I was like, this is fucked. Like, what am I going to do with myself? Right. So when they kicked me out of the band, I mean, dude, I had dreams for like fucking five years where I would beat the ever loving shit out of Pat. Like I'd wake up and be like, "Whoa, that was fucked up." <laughs> like, you know, you still can't. I've got some. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I love Pat, and Pat's gonna hear this and think that whatever, I'm an asshole. But like, at the time, I was just so crushed by not being in the band. But in Pat's defense, the decision that he made and that the band made was the right decision. Right. Like, if if. If everybody else in the band wanted to be famous and go on tour and, and try their hand and see what happened, and I was the guy that was still clinging to needing the security blanket of going to school and getting an education, then I was the one holding the band back at that point. Right. And what are you supposed to do? You just got to kick the guy out, right? So they right. didn't do anything wrong. It just, the whole situation sucked. It was very difficult for me emotionally, and, you know, it just... But yeah, is what needed to happen. I mean, looking back at all of it, I, I, I would definitely say that One Life was a, was a band that we all really wanted to happen and actually be the final band, I think. But looking back, I would say that we were just all trapped in a young age, you know, going on, and we were stuck in that moment in life. Which way are we going, you know? For sure. And things were getting harder. It was harder to make money, you know, and figure that kind of stuff out. So I don't think anyone's at fault. It was just kind of like putting the pieces together so we could celebrate now and have finally what it, what we wanted it to yeah. be, I think, you know, where we all are happy. Yeah, it's, I mean, it was difficult at the time, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the way that it turned out. Like, Yeah, we fucking still I, get to do it. <laughs> we still get to do it. I'm 43 years old. I'm a fucking lawyer, I have a lovely family, and I'm a very happy person. So, and in a weird way, it could have ended up really fucking bad if I had oh, yeah. gone that route and For sure. wh whatever, so. You know, you know, so many of the the friends and, and other bands that kind of went all in and said, you know what, fuck, fuck school, fuck everything, this is it for me. Right. Didn't work out well for yeah. most of them. You know, dude. I mean, how many guys do we know that are still fucking running sound or doing whatever? Yeah. And right. not that that's like which, yeah, that's that's a career. That's better than is. some of the guys that aren't running. Right, sound, exactly. You know, yeah, by by a long shot. But, but um, as we get old, uh, younger, as we get younger, <laughs> I feel, I feel like there there is no right or wrong for anything that has happened. For sure, you know, and it, it was all not the old cliche like you know it was meant to be but i feel like there's just no way it just be happy and make music because you love it and at the end of the day we're still doing that and that was the main purpose and it brought us joy and we're still doing it and it brings us even more joy now than it did then i think you know it really does and it it uh i think it, it made a fucking real point to me before like we were rehearsing for the last show we played which was like a year ago and I brought my oldest son, Henry, to one of our rehearsals. And during that rehearsal, I was like, why does this feel so fucking like different and good than it did back when we were actually trying to do it? Right. And the reason is because it's not fucking overwrought with all these feelings of like needing to be successful and like appealing to people and like doing all the shit that's required to like try to be famous. You just we're playing the fucking music because we love playing the music, yeah. but that's totally fucking achievable in the first instance when you're fucking eighteen years old. You just gotta let go of the idea that you're doing this for a reason that is 
different than just loving music. Right. Because the fucking thing that makes you fucking good is the fact that you love the fucking music, right? right. So there's like, just, we we got bogged down by like all of the bullshit that surrounds being a successful band. Right. And that really fucked us up. And well, a lot of jealousy for me watching these guys get out and mm. live my dream where I was just trying to find people that want to go on the road. You know what I mean? How many yeah. times did I see you in the band? Like, guys, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And if you we're not doing it, I'm going to go do it by myself. You know? And Dude, I, there it's, I went. It's so <laughs> hilarious because you and I are like polar opposites in that respect. Like, right. you were the one fucking itching to go. And I was the one that was like, fuck, if we could just like figure out a way to get famous in Chicago. Yeah, win Chicago. And not have to yeah. fucking. Which is the way it should work anyways, mm -hmm. you know. But, well, but this was all, you know, pre-internet, right? Right. Right. More or less. Where you, if, you know, if you wanted people in fucking, you know, Des Moines, Iowa. Right. To know who you were, you either had to be signed to a record label to have your, your tape or CDs in a store. Right. And have them promoting it and pushing it to, you know, radio and magazines and all that shit. Or you had to drive there, right. set up, play a show for nobody that, you know. The bartender. Yeah, right. the bartender. And maybe a couple people wandering like, oh, what's this? Mm -hmm. Occasionally the stripper on a pole. Yeah. Half pole. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about that show. Um, but yeah, now, you know, think with the internet, it's like, oh, you upload your song and instant worldwide distribution. Put a video on YouTube. Everybody can see it. Right. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's totally different. Very different world. It's totally different. But I think I think the same ideas hold true, right? I mean, you're right though. Like when I when we were first, you know, 16 years old and like playing in punk rock bands, that whole like book your own tour ethos. Yeah. There was a book called Book Your Own Tour, right? And it was just filled with venues in every fucking city. Or people that are willing to put on a show in their right, basement. Right. Exactly. You yeah. Know, or there let were, you crash on their fucking couch. Yes. Or, absolutely. And what's hilarious about it now to me is like, I was never gonna, f I was never gonna do that shit. Well, and who? This is other thing. Who wants to do that? <laughs> Nobody. You know, I, I've done it, and it's on the one hand, it's fucking cool, it's fun, it's awesome. On the other hand, it really fucking sucks. Yeah. You know, who the fuck are all these people <laughs> in my basement? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking. But, you know, I lucked out in the fact that when I joined the T's, you know, I was. The biggest loser that I knew, you know, <laughs> like I was living in my dad's basement, working overnights at UPS, yeah. but I fucked up my back and like couldn't I like I didn't quit. Yeah, I fucked up my back. They said, okay, you know, uh, go see this physical therapist. We'll pay for it and take two weeks off. I took two weeks off, and then I was like, you know what, fuck it, and I never showed up again. Yeah, and then like three, four months went by, and I'm like, you know, I kind of need some money. Yeah. So I just went back to work. Yeah. And they're like, hey, Mike. No shit. You're in Bay 6 tonight. I was like, what? You literally just showed up. I went in there to like beg up. for my job, job back. And the yeah. guy's like, hey, dude, right there. I was no like, fucking Fuck. way. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. But then, uh, you know, a little while after that, Tom called me up. Hey, man, you want to go on tour? I said, Fuck yeah. Yeah. I got nothing. Get the fuck out of here. So. You should go back there tomorrow and see if you can work. I'm sure I could. I bet. <laughs> Especially on, over hey, the Mike. holidays, they're they're really uh, Bay Six, buddy. I could use it. Yeah. <laughs> We've been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 20 years, but we're waiting for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Uh, but then you know, I had I'm a high school dropout. Yeah. I'm no no real schooling. I went to COD for for music for right. one quarter. I think they do. And then failed class piano because I showed up without my sheet music. Like, yeah, I can remember this shit. <laughs> Like no, dude. I mean, but yeah, it's I, I just we did a fucking podcast probably a year ago, Pat and I, and uh, the guys that do the podcast asked us like, what do you think it takes to make it in the music industry? And I literally said like, you gotta go for broke. Yeah, those are the bands that fucking. I mean, dude, like, no plan B. Yeah, like I I don't I don't know Tom that well. Yeah, I love Tom. I think the world of Tom, but like I didn't grow up with him like Eric did, and I haven't been on tour with him like you have. But what I know is that when we were in close enough, and we were hanging out with Tom, fucking 
playing guitars in our backyard and dicking around. Tom was always like, this is all I'm doing. Right. This is what I'm doing. Like, I'm writing songs. Right. This is just, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I'm like, well, like, what happens if that doesn't work? And he's like, it better fucking work because yeah. this is what I'm I, doing. I think his reaction more than uh, it better fucking work would be, what do you mean? It's right. probably the natural like, reaction. I don't, like, what? I huh? can't even what conceive of that. Yeah. Doesn't right. work. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm writing songs. It's going to fucking work. Right. Yeah. But not even, you know, not even like thinking like, oh, yeah, this could fail. Yeah. I could be homeless or yeah. penniless or whatever. He's just, no. It's like, that's what I do. It's my life. Right. What I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. And 100%, you know, is the reason we are where we are. Yeah. Not 100%. 95. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot, a lot. Lauren, Lauren Israel gets a lot of credit. Right. For sure. Because he's. He's uh, taught him a lot, taught me a lot. Dude, I mean, I remember <clears throat> when he got involved in the first fucking place, and... Lauren fucked a lot of things up for a lot of us. Well, those guys would come out of fucking practices and be like, yo, you guys don't know what the fuck this guy is is doing to us. Yeah. And we'd be like, this sounds really rapey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they'd be like, no, dude, he makes us play everything nine million fucking times until it's perfect and we're like because dude close enough was like a fucking punk band like we did yeah. not tightness was not in our vocabulary we were just fucking jumping around and strumming and bleeding on shit and whatever and whatever and i'm not peeing by the way that's my coffee yeah that's the cure yeah. he that would be a weird pee sound though yeah i guess well anyway <laughs> you were saying yeah, I don't know. He he would do shit like that, but also he was just the guy the guy in the room that would spit out his opinion about everything and to the point where you're like, "Fuck you, asshole," you know. Right. But then he'd be right about everything. Yeah. And you'd you'd learn like, "Wait a minute. Shit, he was right." Yeah. You know. Or you wouldn't and then you know, like, well, I'm going to show him, and right. then you fail, and you're like, fuck. Yeah. You know, for whatever. And every aspect of the band, the songs, the, the live show, he would pick apart shit that he saw, you know. Yeah. That needed work. And he would let you know. Yeah. With no qualms or, you know. Well, so, like, that's an interesting um, point to be made, which is, like, um, there's a level of, like, I mean, you have to be an artist first, right? But then there's like a, there's a level of professionalism yeah. that goes into really anything, uh, like working on your craft. Yeah. And that was a guy that had been around professional musicians for a long fucking time and knew what professional musicians did and didn't do. Right. And wasn't afraid to fucking tell you. Right. Like this and if, is, if you went to him saying, well, no, you know, I'm artistic, I want to, whatever... Then he would ask you, okay, you know, what name five of your favorite CDs. Sure. Who do you aspire to be? Yeah. And then he would say, well, you know, they actually did this that you don't want to do. Look. Right. And then you're like, fuck, he's right, you know. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and then he would show you, well, here's what they didn't do. Right. And here's where you're wrong. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. But, I don't I, know. I mean, there's a... There's a it's, I mean, it's part of growing up, too. It's just learning how to be a, a craftsman. Yeah. No matter what you're doing, whether it's music or being a lawyer or being a fucking parent. Like, there's a... You learn along the way, and at some point, you hope you get fucking skilled enough at something to be good at it. But that's part of it. Like, I mean, dude, I remember stupid shit. Like, we were playing a fucking show and close enough, and somebody broke a guitar string and we stopped the song yeah and yeah you don't do that no like that's just shit you don't do you do it when you're 17 and you don't fucking know any better right but the show must go on you never yeah. fucking stop you start a song you don't fucking stop right yeah i mean i think what i was trying to say and not that lauren's a great guy but it'd be interesting if someone wrote a book of the career you know, like over the 10 years when things are really popping because, and I know there is some, some, there is rumblings of a book out there, I believe, but 
you know, all these different things came into play as we were trying to make music, you know, and it was like, you guys were getting picked up, show off already had gotten picked up and stuff or whatever. And there was a little level of jealousy kind of going on. It wasn't that anyone wasn't happy for each other. Right. It was more or less that we're young and we wanted the same thing, you know, and they're living all of a sudden they got this opportunity. It's like, oh shit. And then Lauren comes into the picture and then- By the way, the whole time that we were like on the road and shit and doing anything, we were jealous of everybody else too for all <laughs> kinds of reasons. Home. Yeah, because no, you... not for, no, just musical reasons, career reasons. We would look at what other people are doing, like fuck. Yeah, yeah. They came up with that, like God damn it, that's gonna you know whatever. Yeah, you were just on a different. That's pers- just you were like yeah, naturally doing it right, but not, but not in like a uh, vindictive kind of way. We're like no, you know, I hate these guys. You're like you know, you're just like man. Well, this is where right. the Beatles heard Pet Sounds, and they were like, yeah, oh fuck. And then they came out with their own fucking version, Sergeant Peppers. And it's the same kind of thing. Like, I remember being in One Life and hearing a couple of the new Thrice songs at the time and being like, what the fuck? Right. God damn it. These fucking guys are too good. (laughs) Why the the fuck didn't we write that? Yeah. What I was saying was really interesting about, uh, like, Lauren was, so little does that guy probably even know. His influence on you guys and where he took you guys also turned the light on later on for us once we realized, oh, shit, he, you know, he's yeah. not a bad guy coming out of the woodwork. Right. You know, he's just a guy trying to help everybody, you know. And so, I mean, like his practices that he taught you guys went into our work, too, you know, and how like he was in, very, very influential for a lot of reasons. But I ended up at first. Being like, oh, whoa, whoa, new guy in the group, you know, who's right, this dude, yeah, yeah. you know? Well, especially because he's such like a loud, yeah. in your face personality. He's yeah. definitely a character. I don't even know that I've ever spoken to him. Hmm. He was around at some of the shows that we played, but like legitimately, <laughs> you know, I think we were still in close enough at the time. And obviously he had no interest in us. And I was like, whatever, man. Yeah. Some fucking record label guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just another one of those dudes. <laughs> right. yeah. um, w- let's talk a little bit about so where we're at now. Yeah. So, you know, obviously all of this has transpired. We could sit here for until 6 a.m., maybe even for two weeks and talk about everything. But uh, So One one Life stopped. Stopped. Yeah. And yeah. then so many years later. Yeah, so uh, I got kicked out of One Life. I took my finals. Um you fucking just continued on with my life and really didn't play music or do anything musical for a long time. Like four or five years, probably. Did you think about it? All the fucking time. All the time. This was like while I was having dreams of beating the shit out of Pat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, You guys bloody pick up guitars and then start Yeah, right, again. exactly. <laughs> Like, all right, we got it all worked out now. It's like Fight Club with guitars. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't even know, like, how it worked out, man. But, like, five years later, so I graduated from law school in 03. I'm going to say, like, 07, 06, 07, something like that. Pat reached out and was like, hey, you want to play a show? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, cool come to the practice space, whatever. And they had been in Morningside Drive. And then I don't think they were doing Super Happy Fun Club at that point, but Morningside Drive had gone the way the Buffalo and was done and whatever. Yeah, then Waiting Game started. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, no. I'm sa- I said game. Morningside Drive. It was the Waiting Game. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was I'm say. an idiot. Yeah, so the Waiting Game where they wore makeup and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which... And this is all. Thank Christ I wasn't in that band. Yeah, me too. I would not look good with fucking makeup on. So right, I don't even have. I'm lose. I was losing my hair then. <laughs> Eyeliner and no hair. It doesn't work. You're like no. the guy from Silence yeah, of the Lambs. Right, 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 exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So good thing Eric and I were not in that band. Uh, we'd have been scaring people. But yeah. so yeah, I don't. I think that uh, the waiting game had like broken up, but. They were still on good terms with Mueller. Yep. And so somebody posited the idea of, of getting One Life back together to play a show. So I went and we rehearsed and, I mean, it was like fucking we had never broken up. 
more yeah. or less. I mean, I don't even have to practice when I come to, you know, I mean, yeah. after like two years off and, oh, let's play this show or whatever you guys want to play. It's yeah. Like, I don't even have to rehearse the songs. They're like ingrained in me because I just love them so much. It's hilarious that you say that because I forget the words to my songs fucking all the time. I'm like, I'm like, uh, line, fucking, what's yeah, the line? That's the singer thing. It's a fucking totally. Um, but yeah, so we we played a show in like 2007, 2008, and then from there it's just kind of been like hit or miss whenever we fucking get offered a show, we play a show. And what's really brought us back together though is when Tom right. kind of spoke up and said, hey, you know, you guys have all those recordings, you know, what do you have, what don't you have, you know, he's like this... I'd like to see, <clears throat> I'd be willing to, uh, you know, see you guys put these out. Yeah. You know, it was like 2018, 2019. Played a show at mm, that was, fucking uh, Subterranean or Double Door. So I don't even fucking I think, know. I think it was Double Door. Yeah. And actually, like, I remember. Forgive us, Pat, if we're not. Yeah, if we're incorrect. <laughs> we're both. We don't pay attention to shit like that. I remember I had lunch with Tyrio that day, and Tyrio was like, man, you guys got to fucking, like, do something. Yeah. Don't just fucking play, like, a show every year. Right. Like, actually fucking do something. And then, you know, Tom was at the show that night, and afterwards Tom was like, we should fucking record everything. Like, whatever. Because you, you guys had some songs recorded, like, yeah. back in the day. Because I know we, like destroyed the shit out of a CD yeah. when we're on the road, like on repeat. Um, but not all of them, for sure. No, not all of them. So we Maybe had, we put a two-song demo out, like right off the bat, right. that we recorded at Rack's Tracks. And, uh, According to your will. And, uh, she came, she to, came me. to me. And then maybe, I mean, because like literally the band was around for more or less like a year, year yeah. and a half. So... Maybe like in the early winter, like maybe January, February of the following year, we recorded a six song EP with the guys from Reforma. Right. Who later went on to be in, the fuck isn't it? Medina Lake. Medina Lake. Yeah. Um, with Mateo. With Mateo. So we recorded that six song EP and we like broke up before it ever came out. Yeah. And we had, I mean, like we said, we had label interest. We had, like, a manager at the time and whatever. And, like, people we were playing the record for were like, this is fucking great. Let's do it. Yeah. And then we got offered the tour in all likelihood because of the fucking six-song EP that we had recorded and was yeah, sooner or later it, it was going to happen. It just ended before it could happen. Yeah. <clears throat> so we broke up before that recording was ever really released. Um so we've got eight songs that we recorded, but then we've got, I don't know, three or four other ones that, you know, we would play at shows, but we've yeah. never tracked. And so for the last, frick, man, I, mean, I don't probably know. Probably about two years. Two years we've been tracking slowly, right? releasing Get, stuff. Getting them done. Chris did all the drums and then kind of sent those over. He recorded those in Nashville. Yeah. And, um, and then we've been piecing them together. And it's been going great. Yeah. And shot a video. And, and shot, shot a, video. a video. Kick ass video. Which was a fucking blast. It right. was a good time. Played a show in there. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to get them out on Humans Were Here and uh, very thankful Tom kind of sparked it to, to re record them because I don't think we would have yeah. chose to actually re record them um, unless he kind of just said, hey, you should. No, there's no way that that would have ever happened. Like, right. that was not in anybody's mind at the time. We would have just wrote new ones, and that, I mean, I think that was the plan anyways. I know Mueller's been writing some stuff, and it's like, hey, let's write some new stuff, yeah. put that out, but now let's re-record everything else that we had, you know, and make a great record. I, honestly, I don't even know if we would have recorded or written anything new. I mean, at the time, we were basically just in this orbit where, like, we would play a show every now and again... But without someone like Tom coming along and being like, hey, like, I'll foot the bill. Let's fucking do it. Right. I'm not sure that, you know, we as a band would have been like, hey, we should fucking re-record. We're all 40 some odd years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, I think the thing is we're all such creators and got, we're always creating a new band, art, whatever it might be. And that we're all over the place because we just 
have this love for making new stuff, you yeah. know? So, like, it doesn't matter, really. It's just kind of like who's in the room, you know, sure. who wants to work today. I think... Hang on. Are you guys getting a buzz? Yeah, whatever. There's, like, an occasional buzz. Also, I have to take a leak. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Well, that wraps up part one. Part two coming soon. Thank you, Ryan, for being on the show. If you want to learn a little more about his golf endeavors, you can head over to golfsub70.com. Sub70 Apparel, where he runs the apparel line on Instagram. And, of course, onelifetodie.com. Make sure you check us out over at tothebottommusicpod.com for all the upcoming guests and bullshit that we have going on over there. Thanks for listening.